Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. 31 days before Brexit is scheduled, it now appears unlikely that the United Kingdom will actually leave the EU on the 29th of March. Three senior British ministers, Greg Clark, Amber Rudd and David Gogg, want to delay Brexit, telling the PM uh, no deal exit must be delayed and that they could vote for Labour's Vet Cooper's motion tomorrow, preventing a crash out. Meanwhile, the Labour Party will ask for support for a deal, including a comprehensive customs union and close alignment with the single market uh, motion which would avoid the need for a backstop. If, as expected, that is rejected, Jeremy Corbyn says Labour will table or support a motion for a second referendum on Brexit. Meanwhile, Theresa May, who has said no deal is better than a bad deal, appears to have done another complete U-turn and will rule out leaving the EU without a deal if her agreement is rejected again. Jim Wells is an MLA in South Down for the DUP and joins us once again. And good morning to you and thanks for joining us. Leo Vratker said yesterday that his sense was that either a deal would be agreed by the 29th of March or that there would be an extension. Do you agree with that assessment? Uh, today I do, Michael. Tomorrow it might be totally different. First of all, congratulations on the way you summed it up so well at the start of your show. But the reality is that the situation is changing day by day. Uh, and it really is, i finding it, and I'm a bit of an anorak, as you know, on mm. Brexit issues, I'm finding it very difficult to keep abreast of developments. Um, but I think as we stand, which I'm not happy with what, with what you're saying, mm. as we stand, I think, yes, that's probably a, a good synopsis of what it, what's going on. Um, so uh, do you believe uh, that uh, there will be an extension or do you think uh, that other factors will take over? Well, there's a difference between what I believe may happen and what I want to happen. Well, absolutely, I think, yes. yes. Mm. Maybe, I think, maybe, maybe yes. start with what you, what you believe and then tell us what you want. I think if, if I was a betting man, and I have missed several opportunities to make an absolute fortune recently mm. on Brexit, if I was a betting man, I would, say, I would say that's correct. I believe that the will of the 17.4 million people is very clear. They voted to leave on the 29th of March. 
uh, it's looking less likely that will happen and that will cause huge anger because basically we're saying that those 17.4 million people didn't know what they were doing, didn't understand Mm. and need time to reconsider and we don't do it the Irish team like we don't sort of do best out of three you know we don't have second or third referenda simply because it doesn't suit the European Union so I think there'll there'll be a huge crisis if come 29th of March those people's views are ignored and all those who are desperately trying to find other options, of course, for people who w- didn't want to leave in the first place. Right, uh, but it appears as uh, though Mrs May has no grounds for negotiation. Uh, she told reporters on a plane back from Egypt last night and indeed uh, three ministers writing in uh, the Daily Mail today that uh, she's going to rule out leaving without a, a deal. Uh, so that means uh, she'll take whatever deal she's given, does it not? And Mike well said that's exactly what we fear, is if you take a no-deal Brexit off the table, you fundamentally weaken, weaken your negotiating position with the European Union. Because obviously then they know they can drive a very hard bargain because the ultimate ace card can't be played. And that, that does concern me because I still believe that the vast bulk of the 17.4 million people want out deal or no deal, and their views are being ignored in all of this. Mm, so she goes back to the House of Commons and she says, it's my deal, or, or we stay in. And many people feel that she's running the clock down mm. in order to put further and further pressure on people to accept her deal. One thing I can say, Mike, uh, I'm not a betting man, but I'd mm. certainly stake my house on, on the fact that the DUP will not accept the deal that's currently on the table, which includes the backstop. That is not on. And the ERG, the European Research Group, we believe that about 50 to 60 members of that group will not vote for it. So her deal can't get through. Uh, and then uh, we're, we're into a whole situation of renegotiating the backstop, and that has been torturously slow because of the belligerence of the European Union. The other proposal mm. from Labour is that we leave Europe, but stay within the custom union and largely in the single market. Mm. I think, Mike, that's like you uh, divorcing your wife but moving into the next bedroom. I mean, that's not, that's not a divorce. That's not a, a Brexit at all. That's a semi-detached relationship, which totally negates the view of the 17.4 million. So it is a very confusing, difficult situation. We've only something like 735 hours to Brexit, and still we haven't got clarity. And I think you and I will be discussing this for most of those 70, 735 mm. hours. We'll be discussing what's going to happen next. Yeah, or 31 days, or 20 days. Uh, the House of Commons will sit for just 20 days before the 29th of <clears throat> March. Uh, no, so, I have to say that they may, they may well extend that if well, necessary. Well, of course, they may, yes. It's not in concrete, yeah. It, it, it may be necessary, but as scheduled, and it, it just shows uh, how we are into the 11th hour on this. Uh, but uh, if there is to be another referendum, and again, of course, it's a, a highly hypothetical question. I'm not sure that there is the support for it. The next question is, what will the question be that will be put to people? Absolutely. Now, uh, the calculation is that they're, they're 49 votes short at Westminster for a second referendum. I predicted that the, the meaningful vote would be lost by 209 votes. It was actually lost by 230. Well, the, the same indicators would say that they're 49 votes short for a second referendum. So that doesn't look like it's going to get through. Secondly, if you have a second, if you did have a second referendum, mm-hmm. there's absolutely no way that could be done by the 29th of March. So that would definitely mean a postponement of Brexit uh, and a period for the campaign. And, of course, the Electoral Commission would have to agree the wording. And the wording would be incredibly complex because what exactly would you put on the ballot paper? Mm. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's a minefield because you put several options. Does remain 
go on the ballot paper? Uh, I mean, it, it just, it, it beggars belief that we're even considering this, and I, I don't think our party are totally opposed to it, and I don't think it's going to happen. So that you can rule out completely. R- rule out a, an in-out referendum? Or any referendum. Oh, I mean, any referendum there, at all? There is not a parliamentary majority of any description for a second referendum. It would be bitterly opposed by our own party in the ERG and indeed some Labour mm. MPs. So the, the prediction is that it'll lose by about 49 votes. So worth a try. But, and also, Jerry, McCor- Jerry Corbyn has come to this support for a second referendum so late in the day. Mm. It has been extremely half-hearted and people can see through that. And I, I think we continue to, what we should do is continue to negotiate with, with Europe on the basis that we keep a no deal referendum on, on, the, on the table and if it comes to it we go with it well, it's not he, the ideal situation but he, we go with it he's being described as a hostage held to, to ransom and how he appeared uh, making his views known uh, to members of uh, the Labour Party last night before he lost a, another 30 of them or so well, yes, uh, he, he had to do that last night because, as you know, nine of his members had mm. already left to, to form this new independent group. And, I mean, he, they, they reckon about a third of his party are so deeply unhappy with his view in Brexit that he had to pull out this, this card out of the pack mm. in order to stop the leaching of support for his party. He's in a very difficult situation, but he has heart and the leadership of yep. the of Labour Party is not, their heart is not in a second referendum and they will be very lukewarm in a campaign if one was held. OK, so then that leaves the prospect of staying in the European Union indefinitely, does it not? Well, that would be absolutely unacceptable. That would cause a constitutional crisis of the highest uh, proportions within the United Kingdom because mm. that would mean the 17.4 million people. And remember the ballot paper. The ballot paper in June 2016 was very clear. There was no question of it including a second referendum or staying within the customs union. Yep. The ballot paper asked, do you want to leave or do you not? And 17.4 million people said, we want out. But this amendment tomorrow, the Yvette Cooper, uh, Cooper-Ledwin amendment, uh, will say that uh, the United Kingdom cannot leave the European Union without a deal. Uh, and yes. uh, if that gets the support of the majority of MPs, that leaves you in that indefinite limbo, does it not? It puts everyone in a very difficult position because it means that Europe can hold out for as long as it wants because Mm. they know that the no-deal Brexit is no longer on the table. And that is the final weapon in the armoury of the Brexiteers. Well, it's Um, the final weapon in uh, Mrs May's uh, approach, is it not, in that this is literally putting uh, a gun to the head of uh, people who oppose her deal. It, it, it does. Uh, it, it puts us in a very difficult constitutional position. And I can't in all honesty say that that may fail. We could be in a position where, we, where a no-deal Brexit is removed from the table. The arithmetic's rather different on that one. Now, I haven't done the sums, but mm. it's tight. We obviously will be totally opposed to it, uh, but there certainly will be a significant proportion of the Labour Party who will support that, and a, a large phalanx of um, Conservative MPs. So uh, where we go from there, I have to say to you, Mike, for, for, for perhaps the first time on your programme mm. in, in, in seven years, I don't know. Mm. I just don't know. And I don't know if anybody knows where we go once that happens, because the constitutional uncertainty will, will drag on and drag on. Because why would Europe then drop the backstop 
if a no-deal Brexit is no longer on the table. Why would they bother? Mm. They will dig their heels in and they will force Northern Ireland to be a totally different party in the United Kingdom, will effectively uh, put a border down the middle of the Irish Sea. They will bank that. And, you know, we have no, we have no, no negotiating position. Again, it's like going into a divorce but saying... Yep. Uh, that you're going to give all the money to the wife, your wife. You know, uh, uh, yeah. it just puts you in a very awkward position. Are, are you worried that Theresa May has boxed so clever that she's hoodwinked the DUP and the Brexiteers because you're now in this position of accepting her deal or no deal? Well, I remember that the DUP has no control over what other individual MPs decide. The DUP are the, the only party at Westminster that's totally united on this issue. Uh, and the DUP have been hoodwinked to some very bright individuals led by Nigel Dawes mm. and Sammy Wilson who are following this by the second. We will maintain our position. We will try and encourage others. But if the rest Your of position is to leave, though, isn't it? Absolutely yeah. to leave. And if I have so, to leave, to leave with no deal. Okay. We don't want to leave with a no deal. But if it needs to be, we will leave on that basis on March the 29th. Well, and, and we've been not if this motion is passed tomorrow. Well, we're opposing, we'll be opposing mm. the motion tomorrow. Oh, I know, yes. But, uh, I mean, as I said earlier on, there's uh, three senior ministers who were talking about resigning. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Mrs May is starting to get the numbers here, isn't she? And uh, this motion will most likely get the support of the majority. I, and I, th- I think the only thing I agree with in Jeremy Corbyn is that Theresa May is winding down the clock to mm. March the 29th. Yeah to put the pressure on individual MPs to vote for her agreement. Mm. But we will be doing that. I mean, all, all we as a DUP can be accountable for is the conduct of our two, 10 MPs who I think mm. have played an absolute blinder at Westminster. Maybe we so, but you're not leaving. Uh, it would seem you're not leaving because you have the option of accepting Mrs May's deal, which includes the backstop, which or, we won't. or staying in. Our continuing the negotiations to get out on a reasonable basis, but those negotiations will be greatly weakened by the fact that the main weapon that we have will have been decommissioned. And why would Europe will hang on and hang on? Because they know at the end of the day we're not going to leave without agreement. So therefore, or without, uh, yes, a a no-deal situation. So therefore they can can string this out for as long as they want. Mm. And, And that's the problem with tomorrow's a big vote, and we will be trying to urge as many MPs as possible to see sense. And certainly, the ERG, uh, I'm confident, will will back us. But I have no idea of the arithmetic as far as the rest of the Conservative Party is concerned. No, no, no idea whatsoever. And I'm requiring the sort of the sophologists the out there to do the to read the tea leaves and mm-hmm. tell me because that is a totally new situation we find yourself in. Uh, and in this new situation where Mrs May is about to say that the UK will not leave without a, a deal, uh, can the DUP swallow that pill? No, absolutely not. So what does that mean? Well, it means that we will continue to fight on the floor of the House of Commons mm. to get... But will uh, you continue, uh, to, uh, uh, continue with the Supply and Confidence Agreement? We will, because uh, the situation is, of course, is that the alternative in the form of Jeremy Corbyn is even worse, and that certainly will not deliver Brexit. So we we will continue to fight our corner uh, to try and get the United Kingdom out. But I haven't a notion, uh, to use an Ulsterism, or a clue as to how things pan out if we take no deal off the table, because I think that changes things 
irrevocably. I think it, it, it is a massive change, and I'm hoping that we will be able to convince enough people tomorrow not to do that. Well, it, it seems uh, as though that's almost inevitable now, and it seems that that's the position uh, that the Prime Minister is going to take. When do you think you'll know the answers to these very important questions? Um, well, we'll know, obviously, the result of the vote tomorrow mm. and, uh, and the various amendments. Uh, and once we see and at least, perhaps, one way or the other, we may have clarity mm. as to exactly where we're going. But you'd accept and that the 29th we, of March is off the table at this stage? I, I don't want it off the table. I'm totally opposed to that. But being realistic about it, I think as each day goes by, it's getting less and less likely that the will of the people, the 17.4 million people, will be honoured by leaving on March the 29th. I have to say that, and that grieves me greatly, but I think being realistic about it, I think you and I will be talking about this well into April, May, etc. Indeed, I think we'll fill many, many hours of your airtime on this subject over the next few months, unfortunately. Unfortunately, indeed. Although it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and thank you for joining us uh, this morning. Jim Wells, DUP, MLA for Southdown. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, as you know, Fianna Fáil held its Ord Esh over the weekend, uh, said that it was continuing its confidence and supply agreement with uh, the government because of uh, the concerns it has over Brexit. But it's a terrible government. In normal times, they'd be going to the polls, that they'd be forcing an election, and that the government is not treating them with respect. Yesterday, the Taoiseach said Michal Martin is always either wagging the finger or sniping from the sidelines with no real alternatives to government policy. The spat, if you like, has deepened. Let's talk about it with Eileen Brophy, our political editor. Good morning to you, Eileen, and morning, thanks Michael. for joining us. Uh, I suppose we're uh, seeing the prospect this morning of Brexit being taken off the table for some time. Uh, how serious is uh, the uh, war of words between the two party leaders and what might it mean? Well, it's, it's quite serious amongst Fianna Fáil, uh, both Fianna Fáil voters and uh, Fianna Fáil TDs and some of the front bench as well. They're very annoyed at how they're treated. It's a bit like, you know, you've, you've often heard the saying, biting the hand that feeds you. Uh, you know, Fianna Fáil are propping up this government and they're in, in government still because of Fianna Fáil. Now, we know that Micheál Martin is saying, you know, that he's doing this for the sake of the country, mm. that we couldn't have that legislation that's going through the door for the next three days if we were in the middle of a general election. Um, he, so he did it because of Brexit. Um, and, you know, I think he would probably, he would hope that he did it for another year, and that was in, in December last year, so that we would see another budget, uh, and that we, we would get over all this business with, with Brexit. But I think they've been goaded into uh, maybe having a, a, an, an election if and when uh, they, the Brits... Um, exit uh, mm. from uh, the EU uh, and, and of course that's all up in the air now uh, so it's meant to be at the end of this month but uh, some people think that if there's going to be an extension it can't go beyond the end of May it can't go beyond June, July there's a lot of things in the way um, if there is an extension then there are other people that believe the extension could last for another year and I would think that probably this government are thinking well if we get over this maybe the best thing would be to actually go to the country after the you know the the european Mm. and the uh, local elections that we might see 
uh, that they wouldn't have to bring in maybe another budget, that they would get a mandate uh, in, in September, October. So they're probably, you know, thinking on those lines, whereas Micheál Martin is saying, you know, we have to get over all this first. Mm. And he's saying that he's not going to bring down the government. He's going to bring in another budget uh, or support another budget. Mm. But he may get a, a lot of uh, flack from his own people. Well, I now, think he already is, isn't he? Uh, he uh, absolutely is. Uh, and he, he was getting it mm. over the weekend. Mm. But I think, you know, if you saw the poll, obviously, on, on Sunday mm. in the Red Sea poll, mm. over 70% of people think he was right. They don't want an election um, now, and they think an election is wrong to have now. So it doesn't look like um, Leo Varadkar has changed his tune, mm. but it does, uh, I think it probably has helped Hall Martin to, to do what he has promised to do. Well, I, I think uh, regardless of your political allegiance, I think anybody would uh, agree that it is a, a very bad time to even contemplate a, an election if we go into Brexit or a no-deal Brexit and uh, the problems that could uh, arise. And that's why yeah. this legislation, this omnibus legislation that's going to dominate all business this week Absolutely. is and so important. But Eileen, at the same time, yeah. isn't it strange that a, a party political leader, particularly a Fianna Fáil leader, would say that we won't uh, force an election under any circumstances that will give the government a green card uh, and that whilst he used his speech to criticise government, he didn't bring forward any proposals that he was saying that there were no coherent policies from Fianna Fáil at the Ordesh or perhaps he has a point because Michal Martin was saying there's the crisis in health but he didn't say how Fianna Fáil would change that or improve it. There's the crisis in housing. He didn't say how Fianna Fáil was going to provide housing. No, but they do have policies on mm. all of these things uh, and I suppose he was trying to get across at that that half hour that he had, he was trying to get across, uh, you know, that uh, while, you know, our, our, our job here is, uh, you know, to, to hold this government to account, uh, even though we are propping them up and we're mm. keeping them in power, but we still have to hold them to account. And that's what, what he was trying to get across. So he, he, he was criticising them you know, because he felt that was holding them to account. Mm. But they do have policies on all of oh, these. Oh, of course. Things. But, uh, you know, the leader speech at Nordesh is the opportunity to showcase those policies. That's right, it is. Yeah, well, yeah. I think, I suppose he spent too much mm. time uh, just criticising them rather than, uh, you know, than saying, well, look, this is what we do. And really, you know, it, it would have only taken one line here and one mm. line there. But I think the criticism of him uh, propping up the government for another year it was was the big thing on his mind, and while he 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 was trying to get across that he was holding them to account, that he probably just forgot. On the other hand, that you know he should have been given uh, given them policies that this is what we'll do, and that's what really any normal. Um, government in opposition would do they would they would try and get across their policies at that half hour you have a half hour to get across whatever you want to get across nobody stops you nobody's asking you questions you like it's it's a whole half hour that you have to to get across what what you want to get across and he probably did fail in that 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 he didn't get across his own policies so we've Brexit looming, uh, maybe or maybe not, uh, but in case it does, let's say, there's an awful lot of things to think about, things that perhaps we hadn't thought about before, like going to Newry or Belfast on the train or crossing the border on the bus or going across the border in one direction or the other 
for health services. Uh, there's the all-island electricity market. Uh, there's supports for businesses and grants and insurance products and different items that need to be dealt with in the scenario of uh, hard Brexit. And that's what this omnibus legislation is about. That goes to the doll today and is going to dominate the business of the Oireachtas over the course of the next couple of weeks. It absolutely is. It's about the only thing that will be going through over the next couple of weeks. Uh, it's very comprehensive. It's over a whole nine departments. Um, you know, as you say, the health, I suppose like there are certain things that are are you know that are, are would be on the minds of people, and a lot of that would be travelling, you know, for healthcare. Um, th- these are things that affect ev- everyday life, uh, going up to to hospitals in England and also in the north, and that they that would be paid for uh, by. Uh, the HSE mm. here because I can't I can't get it done here. Also, things like students, uh, students going to England, students come in here. That Susie would pay for the students here. Um, but I, I suppose there's there are everyday things that are affecting people. But obviously, uh, enterprise taxation, which affects us indirectly, uh, the ESB all affects us mm. indirectly. But it's not something that on, at the top of our mind that will all be done. So all this legislation will be brought in. But like one would wonder. Um, if we bring in this legislation, where does that leave us in England? What about our students over in England? Do mm. we pay for the English students here and we pay for the Irish students over in England? What, you know, where does England stand and all of that? So you can't really do all this alone. Um, and it just, it, one would just wonder when we bring all this through, we spend all this time, um, w- w- you know, will it be something that we can act, that, that they can live with? Well, is it something uh, that that will mm. be used or will it just... Well, may never be used. This is the exactly. thing. I mean, as we've been talking this morning, uh, it's yeah. quite likely that Brexit will be taken off the table on the 29th of March at least. Yeah. Uh, but uh, this will be ready to sign into law by the President on the 29th uh, if that proves incorrect. Uh, but it, it's actually legislation that may never be used. That's right. It could just be left on a shelf uh, there. But I suppose... They, uh, this government have been getting a lot of flack too about they're not ready um, if, if Britain leave without an agreement. Uh, like, what are you doing about it? They've been asking that for the last few months. Now they have this legislation. They have something uh, that they're doing. Uh, but w- one would wonder, I suppose a lot of it, a lot of stuff will come out when it is going through the doll. But one, one, from what I've read on it, like one would wonder, it's very, it's very one-sided. Um, and you just wonder how, how, how it's actually going to work. But I suppose that will all come out in, 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 you know, in the next mm-hmm. couple of weeks. OK, well, we'll be hearing uh, little else, I'm sure, over the course I of the next few days. Absolutely anyway. little else, yeah. yeah. All right, Eileen, thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Our political editor, Eileen Brophy. Michael Reed on LMFM. It is critically important uh, that uh, the interests of workers and working families are put at the heart of a new Ireland, which should be a united Ireland. This must be a new Ireland that puts workers' rights, economic rights, gender rights, as well as universal human rights front and centre in a new All-Ireland constitution. That's a declaration that has been signed by 150 trade unions union officials under the banner of trade.
trade unionists for a new and united Ireland. Let's uh, talk about this now with Rory Creaney, who's a spokesperson for this group, TUNUI. Good morning to you, Rory, and thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, Tell us a a little bit more about this uh, initiative and why the trade union movement is involving itself in a campaign for United Ireland. Well, look, we're uh, just a group of trade unionists from across the island who are encouraging the trade union movement to start engaging in in this debate. Uh, Look, really what we aim to bring to the debate on Irish Unity that has already started is to bring a bit of class politics into it, to uh, put forward the interests of working class people uh, into the Irish Unity debate because we fear that if the trade union movement steps out of this debate, we'll be abandoning that ground to corporate interests and Irish unity will be, deter- will be uh, defined by low taxes on corporations. It will be de- defined by austerity measures, and it will be defined by privatisation of public services. Will Irish well, unity, be, unity be defined regardless it, of how it's defined? I mean, is that your view, that that's inevitable at this stage? Or why has the trade union movement involved itself in a campaign of this sort, and why now? Well, because Irish unity is on the agenda and it's really likely that a border poll is going to happen within the next 10 years. So we are the biggest civic society organisation in the country. We have 800,000 members and it would be absolutely irresponsible of us not to engage in a debate around major constitutional change. We learned from the debate on Brexit when progressive forces really stepped out of the, the debate they abandoned the ground to the corporate right and, and indeed in, in the, the British case, some the, the populist fascist right. Uh, we're determined that that is not going to happen in Ireland. We want to articulate a vision of a, a new Ireland, a, a new republic of equality, a, indeed a socialist Ireland. And the best people placed to do that are the trade union movement. And we've learned the lessons of history. We have learned that uh, it's not good enough for working class demands to be put on the back burner. We're determined to say that Labour can't wait and Labour absolutely will not uh, and would it lead to a decline in living standards and income levels given uh, that Northern Ireland is subsidised by London to the tune of about 11 billion euro a year? Well, we're subs- the, the North is subsidised by the, the British government to an extent, but we, we don't know what, what revenue goes, goes from the North to, uh, to, the, to the UK uh, because <clears throat> the British government won't uh, release those, those details. But really, that it's it's a side point because the, the northern state isn't as economically viable as a 32 county state, so it wouldn't be uh, the, the same thing. What we view is that the event of Irish Unity would be a, a massive opportunity to talk about the future of the country, mm. uh, to talk about what we want to see out of a, a progressive republic of equality. Namely, as trade unionists, we want to ensure that that means universal free health care across all of Ireland's 32 counties and Irish National Health Service. We want to ensure that every worker in Ireland has access to collective bargaining. We want to ensure that every worker in Ireland has access to a decent job that has, at the very minimum, uh, a living wage. That's our vision for society. And really, we're going to start this conversation at a conference called Uniting Ireland, Uniting Workers, being held in the CWU head office in Dublin on Saturday the 27th of April. And we'll inviting trade unionists and indeed progressive activists from across civil society to attend that conference to really sharpen down what it means, what a United Ireland would mean for workers' rights. And we want to ensure that 
Uh, that's the start of the conversation okay. in the Labour right. movement. We put our stamp on this debate and ensure that the mistakes of the past are not repeated this time round. All right, but uh, talk to us a little bit more about what is intended, and we'll repeat that date in a, a moment uh, for uh, people who wish to attend on the 27th of April. But uh, there's research done into this by John Fitzgerald of Trinity College and Edgar Morganroth of DCU, uh, and they looked at that uh, 11 billion euro that Northern Ireland receives in subvention from the UK. And they say that's about 25% of the national income in Northern Ireland and that in order to replace that, living standards in the Republic would have to be reduced by as much as 15%. Well, uh, well, I would like to see the details of that, how, what, what type of taxation models are, they're using. <clears throat> a trade unionist, a new Ireland for us, would mean proper progressive taxation. So that means proper taxation on multinational corporations. We do not want to see the likes of Apple getting away with paying 13 billion euro to the Irish exchequer. <clears throat> that is absolutely unacceptable and it's not something that we want to see in a, in a new Ireland. So yeah, we want to see the proper taxation in order to uh, improve public services and make sure that everybody has access to the, the public services that they, that they deserve, whether it's healthcare, uh, a decent job or education for their kids. Mm. But would you be asking people in the north to see a reduction in uh, the standard of services available to them? Mm-hmm. Well, look, there's, there's no question about it, but we don't like the, the, the state and the site as it is now. Uh, we see... Leo Varadkar and Simon Coveney, every bit as much a Tory as Theresa May is. And the state in the South is not something that I would encourage anybody to be part of. As our title says, we want a new Ireland. It's not just a United Ireland. And uh, that, as I said, the conversation starts on the 27th of April about the details of that, what we want to see out of a, a, a new constitution and a, a new society. Mm. Uh, but uh, people will testify that they've uh, a better health service, uh, shorter waiting times, uh, they mm-hmm. get their bins collected uh, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, free education, that sort of uh, thing. Uh, and uh, you'd be talking uh, about uh, a very hard sell, would you not, if it was just on economic grounds to the people of Northern Ireland? Yeah, well, look, look the, <clears throat> the, the, the lack of universal free health care in the South, the lack of proper education services, and all of those things are not natural disorders that just happen to the to the south. There were political decisions made by Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. So, like we, what we're clear that we, uh, our vision of Ireland is totally different from Leo Varadkar's or Michal Martin's. We want to to see that old Ireland abolished and a new one created with universal free healthcare uh, and and uh, access to decent housing. And that's going to take proper taxation. And we accept that. Um, mm. But I, we just feel that. The event of Irish Unity is that chance for a new start for everyone on this island. So but let's get engaged in this debate. And when nobody has anybody, anything to fear from it, this is about everyone's future on this island, regardless of what uh, nationality or what ethnic background you're okay. from. Well, I, I, take, I take there's some trade unionists uh, who'd vote for Leo Vatko or Michal Martin, would they not? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, yeah, of course, we'll be, we okay. represent a wide, a wide uh, range of society. But yeah. look, I mean... Uh, but like we 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 uh, make no apologies for opposing what Fianna Gael stand for. They're anti-trade union. They're anti-worker. They've opposed every progressive piece of legislation that's come through the doll. So yeah, we've we've no truck with uh, any of the Tory parties in, in Leinster House. All right. Well, 150 trade union officials have signed your declaration. Uh, you're to hold this uh, conference at uh, the CWU headquarters on the 27th of April. That's uh, yeah. in uh, William Norton House, isn't it? That's that's yeah, correct. Yeah. All right. Uh, we we'll leave it there for the moment, Rory. Thank you indeed for joining us here this morning. Rory Creaney, spokesperson for Trade Unionists for uh, New and United Ireland. 
Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have come to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and to everybody listening in. Good morning also. Jim Wells is a disgrace, says Martin from Navin. The neck of him coming onto your show, spouting negativity. The DUP will do everything, Michael, to prevent a second Brexit referendum, despite that the majority in the North don't want to leave the EU. Democracy, they have no interest in that at all. Well, uh, yeah, maybe so, but uh, he was uh, certainly a little bit lost this morning, as I think uh, possibly a number of people are. It's a moving feast and it's changing very, very quickly. It seems as though the Prime Minister has done another dramatic U-turn and uh, is saying uh, that whilst no deal is better than a a bad deal, she's not going to contemplate uh, no deal. Okay, (laughs) Jim from Drogheda says, at last, a little bit of good news coming from the UK. Mm. But it really is a joke, Michael, that it has gone this far. And still, echoing really what you're saying, we don't know what is going to happen and cannot take anything for granted, says Jim. Mm. That shower in the UK, as Hemorrhoids pushing it, are holding us all to ransom. Why should they be allowed to dictate to us what is happening? I don't think they should be given an extension at all, Michael. All it is doing is putting off the inevitable. What difference will an extension make? She wants to know. Well, careful what you wish for. Uh, if there's an extension, uh, well, then there isn't Brexit and uh, there certainly isn't uh, no deal Brexit. Uh, perhaps uh, it is delaying the inevitable, but perhaps the time that is given to it will allow for a solution. Well, Anne is speaking in the same train of thought. She says, I don't see what an extension would do at this stage, Michael, that they've mm. been talking for years. You even said that on your show during the week and they still can't agree. So what would change with an extension, mm. she wants to know. Yeah. Uh, Seamus from Dundalk says that he's felt all along that there would be a no-deal Brexit and it seems now with just weeks to go that Labour is changing tact. But the question is, will there be enough to get a referendum through? Listening to your guest from the DUP, it doesn't seem to be the case. So where will that leave us? Mm, well, Europe is standing firm and it's saying uh, the deal as it stands, including the backstop and uh, of course uh, that's the Irish position, but it's not the Irish position. It's the European position. 27 countries are, are saying that's uh, the only deal available to the United Kingdom. And now it seems as though the United Kingdom is saying, well, it's that deal or we stay in, quite possibly. Anyway, uh, we'll come back to some more of those comments in a moment. But let's talk about uh, dogs uh, littering uh, the streets. And uh, Conor Keelan, who's a Fianna Fáil councillor in Louth, joins us now. And uh, you want to encourage people to clean up after their dogs and put them in the normal litter bins. Well, I think everyone uh, would be of the same uh, opinion on that one, Michael. Um, uh, uh, as, as you would be aware, um, uh, there have been uh, the uh, red uh, uh, litter uh, bins for dogs around uh, uh, certain streets in, uh, in the main towns uh, for, for some time now. But um, uh, Loud County Council are currently in the process of phasing out these uh, dog uh, waste bins. Um, the reason behind that is that um, currently uh, all non-recycled waste um, is going towards going to the landfill site. Um, uh, some of these bins um, were being used also for disposal of, of domestic waste. Um, bagged dog waste can be disposed of in general waste bins. So um, uh, once so uh, 
therefore, it is felt by local authority that there's, that there's no need to install um, any of the uh, uh, any of the uh, current uh, dog uh, waste bins. Mm. That in, in fact, that um, uh, uh, bagged dog waste can be disposed properly. And, uh, and what was the idea of having the separate bins? Was it that they were composting the dog poo? Well, um, it was. It was. Well, my understanding is this. This indeed it, it predates me becoming a councillor. But um, uh, uh, it was uh, uh, my understanding. There was um, at the time was that um, there was a need for a separation of um, uh, of that type of waste mm. at the time. But the poo was being composted, was it? Well. Um, there was need for uh, there was need for separation, but as I say, all non-recycled waste now goes to the landfill site. Mm. So there's no there's no benefits for separation. Mm. Okay, okay, but people but pe- one, pe- one people of, were the putting their black bin rubbish uh, their their well, no, I, well, I don't, I just into say the dog bins. It, it has mm. been it is, uh, environment are saying that some some people were um, uh, were using the um, some people were using the uh, dog waste bins for disposal of. Um, uh, of uh, domestic mm, uh, mm. domestic waste. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, now, um, uh, I feel that personally that there needs to be more public awareness of this, and that um, uh, that like a lot of people will say to you that in certain streets um, and areas that there needs to be um, more uh, dog litter bins. But the point is that they're being phased out. But equally, they need people need to be aware that. Bag dog waste can be disposed of properly in general waste bins, mm. um, and so the local authority needs to engage properly mm. through Twitter newsletters, media, and other forms of public awareness to mm. uh, to make that uh, aware. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Public. Yeah, and what what, what difference would would it make you if you put general litter into one of the dog bins? Well, the um, the uh, well, um, but if the, if if general litter is put mm. into 
the uh, dog bins and indeed um, uh, photographs of these have been put up on social media and and everywhere um, uh, they have been they have become uh, full of uh, mm. full of of, of uh, uh, general waste yeah and, uh, and now, now we're asking people to put their dog poo into the general waste bins I'm just wondering what the difference is like well um, uh, but my, my point is is that um, is that uh, Bag dog waste can be disposed of, of securely and properly in general waste bins, and then it will be collected accordingly. Mm. You know, on the basis of true regular collections. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. And, and just and, and equally, we have we have been debated in the council, and indeed, and it's been mm. raised indeed on your own show as well. Deficiencies in the dog fouling uh, bylaws and um, in the in the local authority and um, I and the other members feel that there needs to be mm. um, a re-examination of the same um, we need to look at novel approach being taken by other neighbouring local authorities and um, um, possibly uh, look at um, uh, proper ways to increase um, uh, fines and enforcement and the, what, what, yeah. some, some other things that uh, uh, some other things that um, uh Tidy towns groups and other local authorities do as well. For instance, that whereby um, receptacles um, uh, are, are are provided in some streets, whereby uh, dog walkers can then avail of of bags as they're as they're taking dogs for a walk, and mm-hmm. then they could then they could then uh, dispose of. Uh, Okay. Into yeah. Well, if they'd bother using them, uh, I'm sure they could bring a plastic bag with them themselves. Uh, 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 I'm not sure I fully understand the difference, but the point of where of where they where you dump your rubbish and where you you dump your dog dirt. But the the point is is that the dog bins are, are being phased out, and you can yes. use the general waste bins. Yes. All right, Connor. Thank you very much indeed okay. for joining us uh, this morning, Finnafall Councillor Connor Keelan. Now let's uh, go back uh, to some more of your comments. Uh, Marie, uh, what else have you got for us Yes, Marie from Drogheda was listening in to the interview with our political editor, Eileen Brophy, and she says, it's a bit maddening to think that all of the time in the Doyle is going to be taken up between now and March 29th with all things to deal with a no-deal Brexit, if you like, Mm. to deal with the legislation, when in fact that may not even be needed. And all of the important issues in this country are being put to the side because they have to be. Well, they'll be at a day and night this week. Uh, The following week it'll go to committee and then after that it'll go to the Shannon so that it'll be uh, ready in time for the 29th for the President to sign into law if necessary. It's uh, an, an an unbelievable amount of uh, Parliament time yes. that has been given to legislation that may never be used. That's right, and mm. she just finds that very irritating. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, another listener, Eugene, says that maybe Michael Theresa May has been very clever that this was her plan mm. all along. Yeah. Uh, people said that she was counting down the mm. clock, and maybe she was. Yeah. That with uh, so little time left, uh, her opponents in the UK are going to have to give in mm. a little. Well, Jim Wells said he wasn't hoodwinked, uh, but he certainly sounded wrong-footed and, <laughs> did, uh, by his own admission, didn't know the answers to the questions. 
Uh, moving from that, if I can, Charlie from Navin phoned in a couple of points he wanted to make. The mm. first one was in relation to the Shine sentencing, which we're covering on, covering next on the show. But he says that as a society in Ireland, he feels we have a lot to answer for. Often when something is staring us in the face, we ignore it. He says the dogs on the street knew what was going on in relation to Shine at the time, but it was ignored only now, years and years later, that justice is being done. Secondly, he hears that buildings around the world will be going green for St Patrick's Day to highlight Ireland and how proud we are of the country. Well, he's not so sure about that. Many people aren't so proud and it's a stupid day in Charlie's book. And finally, he says it's terrible, uh, the criminality that is going on in Drogheda. Drogheda people are fantastic people and it's a shame what has been allowed to go on in their town. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now to uh, the sentence yesterday of Michael Shine on 12 charges of indecent assault and one charge of sexual assault committed during medical examinations at Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital and two private clinics in Drogheda between 1971 and 1992. We'll uh, talk with Pat Cusick who was one of uh, the seven victims involved in this and Bernadette Sullivan of the Dignity for Patients group. Now, and uh, good morning to you, Bernadette, first of all. Perhaps uh, you'd begin by telling us who Michael Shine was and how you came to know him and uh, what your relationship with him has been over many years. Uh, Well, he was a consultant surgeon in the hospital uh, for all the time that I worked in the hospital. um, As a nurse. As a nurse. I worked with him on and off but not a lot um, I worked mainly in medical floors um, when I became aware of the allegations then I was involved in supporting um, the first complainant to the hospital um, to, and to the North Eastern Health Board as it was then now the HSE mm. Um Regrettably, just thinking about it before I came up here this morning, I don't think a lot has changed in the response of the authorities towards the victims. Mm. Um, Sadly, I think that it's been a very, very long and difficult journey for people uh, affected by this issue. Um, I think they have been fought in the criminal courts, in the civil courts. Um, The outcome of the the verdict a few weeks ago and then the sentence yesterday I feel is just and fair and was really glad um, that it's nothing less than what the seven gentlemen in the court uh, deserved and um, I think that still you know every the, everyone affected by the issue is having to fight the issue and in le- it's a legal response like the medical missionaries of Mary were a- had received complaints in the late 70s mm. early 80s and we saw in this case that the cases spanned over decades mm. up until mid 90s or early 90s um, those people who suffered in the 80s and 90s could have been saved if people had responded appropriately. The medical missionaries of Mary showed no interest, did they? Um, well, I think the interest I would have to be was all legal damage mm. limitation response. And 
I feel for um, people who use our service at the moment, you know, there are possibly, I, I don't know what the situation is, no. if there will there be any more criminal prosecutions or whatever. I am aware that there is an appeal coming up in the future of previous sentences. So I want to be mindful of that. Um, but there are civil cases that the HSE are dragging mm. through the courts. There does not seem to be a concern for the victims. And is that what you meant at the outset when you said that the uh, authorities uh, were not demonstrating the type of interest that you believe they should at this stage? Because let's not forget uh, that Michael Shine has been struck off the medical mm. register since 2008, wasn't 2008. it? Uh, and that uh, involves complaints uh, from uh, around 100 different people, if I remember correctly. Uh, to the Medical Council, I think at that stage it was 29 mm. to the Medical Council, okay. if my memory serves me We have right. this case which is yeah. about to be appealed uh, in March of two uh, people uh, who he was found guilty of indecently assaulting and we have uh, the case yesterday which resulted in this sentence yes. uh, against seven. So there's a, a long history of yeah. allegations uh, against Shine uh, and it should be mentioned as well that the sentence yesterday was four years imprisonment. Uh, that was for one count of indecent assault uh, but there were 12 charges against him and he was sentenced to 18 months imprisonment for all the other counts uh, but those uh, sentences were uh, ordered to run concurrently so it'll be yes. a, a four-year term as such. I suppose where I'm coming from in it as trying to in 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 trying to advocate mm. in trying to address the issue in years and it's years of difficulties and meeting with people who are and I just complaining that this has happened to them and then trying to turn to the authorities and this is right back from mm. the mid 90s in the Lourdes hospital and now I'm aware that that the a trust fund was set up when the hospital was bought the state looked after themselves they set up a trust fund and that fund is there but it has never been used for the care of the victims mm. and my understanding is that you know, many clients that they're still being dragged through the courts. So I think there needs to be a game change here that mm. there needs to be compassion and a recognition. And it was a wonderful day yesterday mm. and such. Um, Pat, Pat, Pat's here again. Pat's here it's good again. to have you back. Uh, 45, yeah. 45 years you've been. Uh, trying to come to terms yeah. with this, uh, you brought you got some closure uh, with, with the guilty verdicts, uh, and uh, all the more so yesterday. Uh, tell us about your day yesterday. Yesterday, um, yesterday was the end of of a long journey to justice. Uh, I, I I maybe misquote slightly yesterday to say it was the end of a journey. The end of the journey of the pain will always be there, but it would definitely be greatly lessened yesterday. I was I was honoured to be there yesterday with my dear friend, and I'm I'm not ashamed to say my dear friend Bernard Sullivan. Mm. Um, I got a wee bit emotional. It's okay. It was hugely, hugely emotional and hugely emotive. Um, Bernard was sitting beside me and Julie, my wife, and other victims around us, and. Uh, to hear the deliverance from the respected Judge Nolan yesterday was one of the greatest vindications and moments in my life to hear them words coming from him. It, 
I hope brings lights of hope for so many victims out there to realise that none of you are ever alone and that justice will be served. Just Pat, where, where, Pat where's Michael Shine now? Michael Shine this morning woke up lately in Arbor Hill. Rightly where he should be, because he gave life sentences to... Uh, he didn't give life sentences. He didn't give four years. He didn't give 20 months or 18 months. To, he gave life sentences to, in my opinion, and, and when it will be really found out, to hundreds mm. of men, hundreds of young boys. Life sentences now, not starting at 86. Life sentences starting at 11. So yesterday was huge. Yesterday... We spoke last week about hearing the convictions. Uh, yes, the convictions was important. It was so important. Actually, it was it was it was a milestone. Did Did you think to yourself when you were going to sleep last night when you were setting your alarm? He, he's in a, a prison bed in Arbor Hill. Do you know what? I, I didn't think about mm. him at all. Yeah, really. Great. Mm. Mm. Uh, and and I encourage people, and that's why I said to people yesterday, and Baron Depp was there, and and it's a message which we try to give out and you give it out in counselling as well this man does not exist you know what I mean this mm. man is is he perpetrated what he did on people people should not dwell on him anymore he mm. is a nothing now in my eyes he's a nothing but it's been a long hard road it's so you, you, you've gone very public Pat have people uh, reacted to that do, do people believe you is anybody questioning what you've said uh, what the court well, has decided last week from last week, this day week, mm. wasn't it? Uh, or two weeks ago, we were here. Uh, it's been phenomenal. Uh, uh, I think I've been on every radio station in the country. Mm. Uh, I've been um, just a wee while ago there on uh, Northern Sound Shannon side, which was huge. So that message goes out to the west of Ireland, mm. where all my extended people are. No corner of this country is immune from this abuse. Mm. But the reason I was asking you, and uh, Burns, as you remember better than anybody, uh, not everybody believed the allegations all of the time. The nuns didn't believe it, the nurses didn't believe it, the doctors didn't believe it, the health authorities didn't believe it. Uh, you were castigated. Uh, definitely, and I have still continue to this day to have negative social experiences around this, um, which I find unbelievable. And we saw in the court, you know, in this trial, that, and this man is convicted, he's a criminal. Mm. Showed this no remorse. This went on over decades. Mm. This has been on over decades. And I have to say it's very regrettable mm. that, he, you know, it's in a hospital, in an institution. Mm. How could that go on? And we have always campaigned for an inquiry. There must be an inquiry. There's seven convictions uh, now in relation to 12 mm. charges and mm. actually the judge added in Pat would know more but it added mm -hmm. in extra charges yesterday he he added on on my case the mm. three sample charges which had gone in which were sample he upgraded them to nine mm. he upgraded them sorry to eight so that was eight and two that was ten charges so mm. that that was huge as well because mm. sample charges are literally sample charges and it can, people can look at and say, oh, sure, it was only three times mm. he looked at and he gave, that's what he gave the, that's what he gave the four years mm. for. Michael Shine doesn't remember any of it. No, Michael Shine, Michael Shine remembers everything. His mm. memory is that most, was his defense. most, most mm. intact. Mm. 
That was uh, SC mm. Hartnett's defence. He's entitled to a defence. Mm. Uh, and, but I will say, and I'm going to say it now on the air, because it is in the yeah. public record, they chastised Bernadette Sullivan, yeah. Dignity for Patients, they undermined the, the advocacy group and the support group. And I'll, I'll state, and I stated yesterday in every medium I was on in the last 24 hours, the work of Dignity for Patients for us as victims has been massive. I embraced Bernie yesterday mm. and cried for about a couple of minutes and just said... Without her, I could not have gone on this journey. Mm. Without her holding the beacon of, of, of light in the first place, I would not have met up. And I I mm. hope that I, I carried the beacon for so many, along with mm. Bernie. But without Bernie coming forward on this show mm. 10 years ago, I would not have been able to go on my journey, mm. which I had to go on. And, and and at such a huge personal cost. Uh, I mean, you dedicated a decade to this. Uh, it caused so many problems for you in the hospital and subsequent to that, as Pat says. Uh, and that's. But can I say? And it's lovely to hear Pat mm-hmm. saying that because, and I've always felt this. It is Pat and all of the other people that has actually mm-hmm. kept me going because mm-hmm. it's been, as I was trying to say earlier, very difficult. But I've kept going. It has, and I genuinely mean this, it's been a privilege and it is a privilege. Mm. And I am very privileged. Mm. And it's not only me, it's all the other people in the who provide the services with mm. me, the team, privileged for the trust that has been placed in us by each of the people who've come forward. And if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have all the knowledge I have that I hope will be used in an inquiry for patient protection. Mm. It's the people who've come forward who give the information that you actually know the risks. They're doing a great service. I hope that Pat and all of the other people get what they need for their recovery, but they're also providing a great public service Mm. for all patients, all the public. Mm. Well, you've shown as well, Pat. Michael, Mm -hmm. I would like to call on on the government now Mm. to actively, it's 10 years since we were campaigning, Outside the doll, and since myself and, and Bernadette and a delegation from her dignity for patients went in and met Minister Harney. In fairness to her, she 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 initiated the Smith re- uh, review. Mm-hmm. I'm calling on 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 the health committee to hear from us. Uh, uh, the people are out there. They're asking us what can they do. Listen, give us a hearing. We didn't pre- we didn't rehearse this. This is off my own bat. Mm. Give us a hearing in the health uh, forum inside in the doll and be seen to do something about this because yeah. uh, this needs to be looked into and if it helps our cases because yeah. I, I, case I, I, I was going to say to you that uh, he, he denied it up to the end uh, he said he didn't remember it it didn't happen it couldn't have happened he's a sterling career uh, that uh, he was an old man it was unfair to put such serious allegations to him that he was suffering from a bit of dementia uh, and it seemed as though that he, he was blaming the media at times and clutching at straws and anything that might have cast some doubt over the allegations that were made against him but it's not just that and perhaps uh, that is reason for the health committee 
to hear the story over the last 10 years because there was the collegiality that we heard mm. in the Michael Shine case where the staff came together and said no he is one of ours he's a, a revered and profound doctor of medicine and somebody uh, who we have great respect for and anybody who speaks against him namely Bernadette Sullivan is wrong and mischievous. Yeah, and I think I'm glad you've brought that up uh, because the collegiality and I don't even think that word describes it, maybe misplaced like that still continues up until um, recently, very recently. Some nursing staff took very strong, active steps in support of him. Mm. Um, And as we know, there's a lot of medical and nursing support for him uh, in the past. you know, the duty of care is to the patient. And I, I would ask, actually, those people to step back and think and see if there's any way they can make reparation or whatever that word is to the people affected because mm. they've been very upset by the actions that okay. they OK, and maybe we, we could talk a, about yeah. uh, all of the people who've been uh, affected because we've heard from many over the years. Mm. Uh, Shine uh, was... Uh, this doctor who was held in such high esteem for decades in the Lord's Hospital and just seven people were represented in court yesterday. There's many other people uh, who feel that the case was taken in their name and others who feel that perhaps it should have been and maybe don't feel the same way. Have you a, a message to people who encountered Michael Shine over the years? I, I've just been on, on Northern Sound, Shannon site and they, uh, they rang me back to say the phones are meltdown meltdown from patients and families of of people who attended them. I encourage everyone out there, every victim, uh, contact Dignity for Patients, contact the radio station, go to Angarda, go to somebody, ask for help, Mm. and maybe they will bring you to here. But you're not alone. Your voice won't be silent anymore. And I think we must emphasise one little thing, as daunting as the experience was in court as tough as it is and as tough the journey has, I believe that the likes of Ungarda Shiakana involved in this case who were exemplary I believe things are changing in the justice mm. thing, an awful lot of people are put off by it coming forward come forward, the support is there, the advocacy groups are there mm-hmm. and victim support in court is there definitely helps along okay. the way. Okay, and Bernadette uh, people can contact you in Dignity yes, for Patients. Yes, um, mm. they can contact uh, us in Dignity for Patients and we're client-centred, Michael just mm. to reassure people we give the information to people in a supportive way and they make the choice about the steps they want to take and we support okay. them in whatever choice they want to make. Will I give mm-hmm. you a number? Please do, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. the helpline numbers are 086 165 one and 0419843730. And I would again like to say that, you know, in light of the sentence yesterday and the verdict, again, I do call on the health authorities to begin to show compassion and have the care of the people affected as their priority. It's nice to see both of you in here today, uh, completely vindicated. And thanks for coming in and... I'm not sure if congratulations is the appropriate word, uh, but I'm very pleased for you and thank you for coming in. Thanks so much, Michael. Thanks for all your support. Thank Thanks, you Michael. Thank That's you. Uh, Bernadette Sullivan of Dignity for Patients and Pat Cusick. 
Michael Reed on LMFM. Yeah, your worst nightmare of ever. It's uh, difficult to put words on uh, the story of Clodagh Hall or how it might have uh, been uh, understood by the family when they realised that uh, there were five people dead in a house and uh, that uh, Clodagh Hall and her three children had been murdered by the husband, Alan Hall. Let's hear a little bit of how this became a reality for Clodagh's mother, Mary Call, when she was speaking to Claire Byrne last night. Mm. I rang her phone, there was no reply. I rang the house phone. I rang his phone. I text Clodagh. I text him. Where is Clodagh? She hasn't arrived yet. And eventually, I don't know how long it passed, I got into the car, but at that stage, my stomach was sick. I knew... I drove over that road. It was the longest journey I ever drove. It was only five miles. And I remember seeing the magpies on the road. And I said, please, God, don't let anybody else be dead. And I drove up to the house. And I saw the curtains all drawn and the two cars. And I thought, God, there is something terrible wrong. And then I thought maybe it's carbon monoxide poisoning and the five of them couldn't have slept in. So I had a key to their back door and I ran round the back and I had the key in my hand and I was just about to put in the lock. And I looked and I saw the note on the door and it read, don't come in, call the Gardaí. And I knew it was his writing. And I went out on the road and I let the phone fall and I... I tried to dial 999 about 10 times and I couldn't. Eventually I got through and I went to Claude's neighbour and I said to her, Edie, I said, I said, I think Alan has done something terrible. And she said to me, what, Mary? I said, I don't know, but I think he's done something terrible. And the two of us went round to the back door and she said to me, Mary, please don't go in. I said, no, Edie, I'm not going to go in because I knew I just knew, the pit in my stomach, I knew that if I went in, I would never be able to live again. And the guards came, two guards came, and they told me to go into Edie's house and stay with Edie. And I don't know how long I was there. And eventually they came in and they just stood there. And the male guard said to me, we found five bodies, there's nobody alive. Mary Call uh, speaking uh, with Claire Byrne last night in her name is Cloda together with Cloda Hawes' sister Jacqueline Connolly and uh, they told uh, the story and how uh, as we've been hearing there the reality of what had happened uh, became known to them but after that the information that came to them was similar to the information that perhaps you had been receiving through media outlets and indeed as you probably know at the stage the family have many questions uh, about what happened and how it happened. We're joined by Margaret Martin, who's uh, the Director of Women's Aid. And a very good morning to you, Margaret, and thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm sure you're very familiar with uh, the family's questions at this stage and the reasons that they're looking for answers. And I mean, I think, you know, what last night's interview showed is the very raw pain that's inflicted on families and the distress and 
really how they the search for the truth is really so very important to them and the need for that in terms of you know the, the, to allow any sort of healing process i think you were describing it as everybody's worst nightmare i mean to 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 listen to that um, level of distress and mm. just to know the detail of how those poor children were killed and how Coda was killed was absolutely horrific but to have to live with that and to know that that, that 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 was something that happened to your loved ones you know I think there's a whole community there as well there's there's all the children who went to school there's the the teachers etc who were colleagues I mean there's a major I'd imagine people are just suffering from post, post-traumatic stress mm-hmm. and Anybody who watched that and, and who lives through that, I'm sure it, it brought an awful lot back in terms of nightmares, anxiety, stress. And a lot of people will be very worried about, you know, how do you talk to children? How do you tell children? You know, and there's a whole community there that's had to do that yeah. and really needs support in, in terms of how they deal with this. And finding the truth is one of the things that's so important. Yeah, uh, and very hard to, to think about what happened uh, to Cloda and the children. Very hard to listen yeah. to the family yeah. talk about it now, let alone yeah. to imagine what it is like to live through it or yeah. for the family uh, to wonder what happened and then to read online that Cloda had been murdered with a, an axe. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is, um, you know, uh, I know it. it, it may seem a bit irrelevant to some extent to people but like one of the things we have been arguing for so long for is domestic homicide reviews Mm. and domestic homicide reviews were promised from 2007 to 2016 and I know it's a big if but if that had happened if that process had been in place there would have been a domestic homicide review in that case there was two women murdered in in 2016 and one of those was Cloda and in that process a lot of information comes out that is part of that healing process as well. Mm. The questions, because it's not, the coroner's report obviously is really important. It's needed to, to put a kind of state closure and identify the facts of the case. But for all of the other details, for that big, big question in terms of why, what were the opportunities maybe that were lost? Um, and it's not about apportioning blame on anybody. It's about trying to piece together information that was there and I think you know some of the things that that Jacqueline was talking about and that Mary herself was Mm. talking about you know things that they were worried about early in the relationship also feed into the kind of thing that we try and promote through our two into you campaign somebody who's controlling somebody who's always with you who you can't really spend time with your friends or your family on their own those kind of things Everybody needs to understand coercive control. We need to build whole communities. We need national campaigns on this so that people can understand what's happening to them and their loved ones. Is is it possible that it's so horrible that even those who are trained to deal with this are reluctant uh, to really stop it and think about it. I mean, that seems to be yeah. the view of the family, family yeah. to some degree. They're saying, like, I mean, it's one thing saying he was depressed, uh, but that's coming up with the excuses because he wasn't depressed as far as they were aware. He had a good job. He was involved in the GAA. He was an uh, upstanding pillar in the community and so on. Uh, but uh, he was caught doing something that perhaps uh, he couldn't live with. Uh, and maybe that's something different and maybe something that could have been dealt with differently. Yes, I, I think for all of us, there was some level of denial, you know, when that happened. And, and I mean, obviously, if we're at such a, a periphery level, you can imagine what it's like to be in the absolute centre of that. You, you know, your, your, your instincts are about survival and 
sometimes part of that is denial and there can be a lot of things that, that are a denial at that time. I mean, I know myself, even one of my first thoughts was all of those children in that school, you know, can you imagine if you had children in that school, how are you going to cope? What are you going to tell them? What's age appropriate if you think of the three ages of the three boys? What's appropriate for the older children and the younger children? And the lack of support around all of that. And I think that, that, that of course, families as well are going to be guided by if they see somebody in a relationship and they want it to be happy and the messages they're getting, you know, they very clearly said that, that they understood that that they were happy in that relationship. But there was obviously a high degree of control. I think the other thing is, you know, that, that if we had really good practice, there have been eight cases where children have been killed alongside their mothers. There have been 22 murder-suicides. And if we had built up expertise and gradually had been dealing with that information, putting it into practice in terms of GPs, in terms of schools, employers, in terms mm. of the guards, in terms of everybody... That might have been very different, and really we now need to pull up our socks and say, you know, this you can't just leave people in this situation. They need, they need the information at a basic level, but they also need support in how they move forward. Um, and, and as a community, you know, they, they need to have those supports, and it can make a massive difference if they are there in terms of building up the resilience to deal with it and to move on. And I think what Mary said as well is, okay, if those things, if he had not killed them, you know, she, her belief is that, that, okay, it would have been extremely tough, but there would have been ways to get around that. And as a species, we have developed ways of solidarity and support for each other that help us through. And I think, you know, as you said, that thing of denial, yeah. I think to some extent Ireland went in a little bit into denial by the absolute horror of this happening and by the fact that this was a middle class family in middle Ireland and so many of us could identify that and that was really scary mm. at so many different levels. Well the family have confronted all of us I suppose with the horrible reality of what happened to them yeah. and made us think about the unthinkable and put Very the onus crazy. on the legislators yeah. uh, to put in place systems uh, that could lead to intervention before these types of things happen in future. I have to leave it there though Margaret because I've run over time this morning and thank no you problem. indeed for joining thank us this morning. Margaret Martin, Director of Women's Aid. Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda you're investigating locally and perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Sergeant Ronan Farrelly of Navin Station joins us for the report this week and we begin in Drogheda with a robbery that occurred on West Street. This was on Saturday night. That's right. Good morning, Michael. Um, this robbery occurred in Drogheda in West Street at quarter to ten on Saturday night. A male entered um, a premises there, an arcade premises. He was brandishing what we now know is an imitation firearm. He threatened staff. Um, he demanded a quantity of cash. He got some cash and he left the premises on a bicycle. Now, the raider is described as about five foot six inches in height. Uh, he was dressed all in black. He was wearing a black hoodie, black scarf over his face, black jeans and black shoes. And he spoke with a local accent. Now, Gardy have an- analysed a lot of CCTV footage in the town. They've tracked this raider's movements after he left the premises. He cycled up West Street. He turned right down Stockwell Lane. At the bottom of Stockwell Lane, he turned left onto Dwyer Street. And then he turned right onto the Haymarket Bridge. Um, so we haven't tracked him yet from that point onwards. Mm. But uh, so the Haymarket 
bridges opposite the bus station there were appealing to anybody who was out in Drogheda on Saturday night. It would have been busy at that time, people heading out. If they saw this individual, if they saw him before the incident or cycling at speed afterwards, if they have any information, to please contact Drogheda Garda Station. OK, we've uh, a number of burglaries in Ravensdale and in Omeath that occurred in the early hours of Saturday morning, Friday night, Saturday morning, in other words. Yes, Michael, uh, these two uh, burglaries are connected. The first one happened at Station Road in Omeath at 4.15am. Uh, three men broke into a shop there. Uh, they were wearing balaclavas. One of them was armed with a crowbar. The first opened the front shutter of the shop and they took a quantity of cigarettes from the premises. Now, a short time later, at 4.50am, Gardy responded to an alarm call at the Lumpers Bar in Ravensdale, which is not too far away. When Gardy arrived, they found the front door of the premises open and they found that that premises had been burgled. Um, so we're appealing to anybody who was... In that area, North County Loud, in the early hours of Saturday morning, they might have seen mm-hmm. the suspicious vehicle with people in it on the move. If they have any information to contact either Dramad or Carlingford Gardy, respectively. OK, back to Drogheda and uh, the Thatch Cottage. It's believed uh, somebody set the Thatch roof on fire. Yes, Michael, the Thatch pub on Donore Road. This happened, it was well covered on your radio station over the past few days. This fire happened at 6.30am on Saturday morning. The roof was set alight. We're treating it as an arson incident. We're appealing to anybody who has any information about this incident to contact us at Drogheda. Uh, we'd also uh, ask for anybody who drove up to Donore Road around 6.15, 6.30am. They might have dash cam footage to have a look at it. And if there was any unusual or suspicious individuals or persons um, to contact us in Drogheda. Okay, a handbag stolen in Dundalk on Sunday. This was around lunchtime. Yes, Michael, this was a nasty incident. Um, A lady was coming out of Mass from the Redemptorist Church on St Alphonsus Road at 10 past 12 on Sunday when she was confronted by a female. She was knocked to the ground. Um, Her handbag was taken from her and the female ran off. Uh, We believe the uh, culprit is aged in her 20s and the victim suffered some minor injuries in that incident. Um, So if anybody was around the Alphonsus Road area in Dundalk on Sunday at lunchtime, if they saw that female acting suspiciously or running from the scene afterwards, if they can assist in any way to please contact Dundalk Garda Station. Please do. Uh, To Bective and uh, some items stolen from a car. Yes, Michael, the last instance I have here are thefts from parked cars. And the first one of these happened in Bective Abbey on Saturday afternoon between half one and two. Now, Bective Abbey is in the trim area. Mm-hmm. Um, visitors there had their car broken into and two handbags were taken from the car. Um, on Sunday afternoon, we had a car broken into in Mornington. Um, that happened around half past two. A front passenger window was smashed and a purse was taken. And then on, also on Sunday afternoon, another car was broken into at the Hill of Tara. So it's just the time of year, Michael. Mm. Spring has arrived. Yes. People are parking up in these uh, beauty spots or historic sites. They're going for walks. Um, we're asking people to make sure, first of all, you lock your car. You'd be surprised. A lot of people don't actually lock their cars. So that's the first thing. Make sure your alarm is set. Make sure all your windows are closed. Above all, leave no property in the car. Even anything lying around like loose change or sunglasses, it's temptation for a culprit and uh, they can do a smash and grab mm. in 10 or 20 seconds and they're gone. So have no property in your car. 
And if you see anything suspicious, anyone cruising around or somebody that doesn't look uh, right in some of these locations, mm-hmm. please call us and we'll gladly check that out. Yeah, because they are there and uh, there may be a false sense of uh, security that they're aware of and taking advantage of. You're feeling relaxed in a, a scenic area and they're ready to pounce, That's as right. the case may be. All right, uh, we'll leave it there. Thank you indeed. We'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme with thanks to Sergeant Ronan Farley of Navangar. Station. That's where we leave you for today because our time has run out and God willing we'll see you for our next programme at 9am on LMFM tomorrow morning. Good morning. Bye-bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50-80% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.